All right, good evening, everybody. If you want to go ahead and find your seats, we'll go ahead and get started here just shortly. Welcome, everyone. If you got your Bible, as always, I would encourage you to follow along to make sure I don't slip anything in there that shouldn't be there. Uh, we're going to be in Romans chapter 11. I'm going to try to, try to cover uh, a quite a bit tonight. We're going to be in verses 11 through 24. Romans chapter 11, verses 11 through 24. And the title of our lesson tonight is A Message to the Gentiles, which, by the way, is who? That's us. So this is a message to us. Hey, I, I want to start tonight by saying thank you. Um, I, uh, we are, as, as y'all all know, we're going through the book of Romans, and, and we were in some... You know, in chapter 8, which I've always said is the greatest chapter in the entire Bible, uh, it was so good. And then we get in chapter 9, and it was really good. And, and now we're kind of in chapter 10 and chapter 11. And, uh, you know, not every chapter is exciting as the one before it. But you guys are so attentive, and you keep coming and listening, and I really appreciate that. Listen, I, I don't mind putting all the work in, but it, this wouldn't be near as much fun if nobody showed up. And... Uh, so the fact that you are here makes this uh, a lot of fun. All right, so here we are in the middle of chapter 11, and Paul is dealing with the same thing he's been dealing with since chapter 9, and that is the whole problem of Israel pretty much as a whole, as a nation, is lost. They are, they are uh, cut off from Christ. They are accursed, as he said, in chapter 9. Now, he's been dealing with this in chapters 9, 10, and 11. He's been asking some different questions. For example, in chapter 9, he says, has God's word failed? Has his promises to Israel failed? And he said, no. Then in chapter 10, he says, well, did Israel not hear? Did Israel not understand the gospel? And he said, no, they, they heard, they understood. And then last week, in chapter 11, verse 1, he says, has God rejected his people Israel? And the answer to that was no. And tonight he asked another question in verse 11. That's the first verse of our passage tonight. He said, so I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? So again, he's been dealing with this issue of, of Israel not believing in their Messiah. And tonight for the first time, he deals with the purpose behind it or God's purpose behind it. And the question he's asking was the purpose behind it was it a permanent fall? It, has God rejected them uh, completely? And he answers this in verses 11 and 12. So let's read that. He says this, Did they stumble in order that they might fall? Is this fall permanent? And he says, By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, those verses right there, two short verses, they tell us three things about the failure of Israel. Number one, because of their failure, God designed it that way so that salvation would come to the Gentiles. You see, all the way back in, uh, in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus said this. He said, I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom, that's the Jews, will be thrown into outer darkness. So Jesus knew they were going to reject him. Jesus knew that the, uh, a lot of Gentiles are going to be getting saved, but the vast majority of Jews 
would, uh, would, would reject him. So that was always God's plan. So here's what Paul wants us to see. And we need to make sure we don't miss this. This is all happening under the guidance and the sovereignty of God. God is not some petulant deity who says, well, you know, I, I was in love with Israel, but that didn't work out, so I'm going to turn to plan B. God doesn't have plan Bs, folks. God's got a plan A, and he makes sure plan A comes to pass. So he was always planning this way. He, he hardened Israel, it told us last week, so that salvation would come to you and I. So that's the first thing we need to understand. The hardening of Israel, their unbelief happened for a purpose, and that is so that salvation would come to you and I. Here's the second thing it told us. In verse, it says, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, this is God, right? This is what I love about God. He does, he's not doing one thing. He's doing a thousand things at one time. He's always got purpose upon purpose. So he's hardening Israel so the Gentiles will believe. And when the Gentiles are believing, it's going to make Israel uh, jealous so that at some point in time, they will return to their uh, Messiah. Now, keep in mind, our part in this plan is to live lives that will make other people jealous of what we have. Do y'all understand that? That we should be living lives so that other people look at us and want what we have. This past Sunday, I was preaching at another church, and um, I told a story. This is a true story. You can find it on the Internet. And as we all know, if it's on the Internet, it's got to be true, right? So in 2013, there was a pastor in St. Louis, and uh, after church, him and about 12 or 15 of his congregants went to an Applebee's. And... Uh, they all sat down and ate, and uh, after they ate, they brought them the check. And you, know, you normally know how that is when you have a big party like that. They usually add a gratuity into the check, and in this case, it was 18%. So I'm assuming he paid, but when he got done, he turned the check over, and he wrote on the back, I quote, I give God 10%, why should I give you 18 And by the way, we live in the Facebook age, so you know what happened, right? Somebody took a picture of that posted it on Facebook, it went viral, and God's name was blasphemed. Now you tell me, is that man making people want what he has? No, that's not us, folks. We don't live like that. We should be living in a way that people want what we have, not turning them uh, away. A third thing those two verses tell us. Let's read verses 12 through 15. It says, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Paul says, now I'm speaking to you Gentiles, and we'll come back to that in a minute. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. And then he says this, for if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? This is what Paul's telling us. There's coming a time when God's mission to the Gentiles will be done. The Bible talks about the, the fullness of the Gentiles is complete. When that happens, God will lift the hardening from Israel and every single Jew alive on that day or at that time will come to Christ and will believe. And when that happens, Jesus is coming back, he's raising the dead, and we're all going home. I mean, when, he, when the Jews come in, it's over. Right? So that, that's what he's talking about. When their inclusion comes in, it literally means life. From the dead. So here we are in the middle of chapter 11. And what Paul wants us to understand is God has got a plan. He's hardened the, Gen he's hardened the Jews for a while. 
uh, so that Gentile, so the uh, sa- uh, salvation would come to you and I. He's doing all of this with a purpose. Now, let's go back to verse 13. Paul wants to make sure you and I understand what's going on. He's saying, I'm talking to you Gentiles. He is literally saying, I'm speaking to people who aren't Jews. I want you to understand what is going on. Now, then he says this. Look at verse 16. He says, if the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, then so are the branches. Now, Paul here, and I'm going to explain what he means by this. Paul here is talking about Israel. And he referred, he's using an analogy, he refers to Israel as, in one case, as a lump of dough. And he refers to the, in the other analogy, is a, is a tree that has branches and, and roots. But he's talking about Israel. Israel is the lump. Israel is the, uh, is the tree. Now, so let's read it again with that understanding. If the dough offered as first fruits is holy. So he's, he's talking about some part of Israel, and I'll explain what that is in a minute. If that part of it is holy, then so is the whole lump. If the root is holy, and again, he's talking about a certain part of Israel, and I'll explain that in a minute, so are the branches, and he's talking about the whole nation. Now, I've said this before in my teaching, and I need to, I, I think it bears repeating. The Bible uses analogies a lot, right? Jesus uses analogies all the time. I am the good shepherd. I am the gate. I am the... Uh, the you know on and on and on right uh, you know fishers of men on and on the apostles use them because it's an excellent way to explain truth but always keep in mind that an analogy is an analogy it's not perfect you can always push analogies too far let me give you an example Paul says if the dough offered as first fruits is holy if part of Israel is holy then so is the whole lump. See, you and I could easily think, well, he, by the whole lump, he must be talking about every Jew that's ever lived. That evidently every Jew is going to be saved and go to heaven. Or let's look at the other one. He says, if the root is holy, so are all the branches. Again, you might can conclude from that and that, that he means that, well, every branch, every Jew of Israel is going to be saved. The problem with that conclusion is that contradicts numerous things that the Bible says. For example, go back to what I just showed you a minute ago about Jesus. What did he say? He says the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into where? Outer darkness. That's, that's a synonym for hell. That's, that's, they're not being saved. So you can't push the analogy too far. So what is Paul talking about? Here's what he's saying. God chose a man named Abraham, Right? He chose that man named Abraham, and he gave that man promises. He said, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. He said, walk outside, look at the sky. If you can number the stars, that's how many descendants you're going to have. And then he chose uh, Isaac instead of Esau to receive the promises. And he he chose, I'm sorry, Isaac instead of Ishmael, Jacob instead of Esau. So, and today we call, we call God the God of who? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. See, those three men, they were chosen and God gave them promises, covenant promises to them. They are the dough offered as first fruits. They are the root of the tree in this analogy that Paul is giving. So what Paul is saying, if those men are holy, if those men have been chosen, if those men have been given promises, then 
that infers that the nation of Israel as a whole is also holy as well. In other words, it has been chosen, it has been set apart, it has been given certain promises. Now, he'll, by the way, he'll verify this later in chapter 11. He says this in verse 28, As regards the gospel, they, talking about the Jews, are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. That's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Here's the point. God chose Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he gave them everlasting covenant promises. Listen, the hardening of Israel does not nullify those promises to Abraham. God didn't just change his mind and say, well, it just didn't work out. No. God made promises to Abraham, and he's going to keep them. He made promises about the nation of Israel, and he's going to keep them. He has a plan and a purpose for them. One day, the whole lump of Israel will be saved. There's coming a day when, I don't know when it is, but God will remove the hardening and the whole nation of Israel alive at that time will be saved. Every branch, every Jew alive at that time uh, will be believers. The entire generation, that, that is going to be an incredible, incredible thing. You remember what I told you last week, right? Nine million people in Israel today, fifteen to 20,000 believers. That's 0.22%. Can you imagine? I mean, today the hardening is still there, but there's coming a day when God will pick the blinders off their eyes and an entire generation of Israel, an entire generation of Jews are going to be saved, but not yet. Not yet. It hadn't happened yet. For now, the Bible tells us in verse 17, some of the branches have been broken off. Now, what is he talking about? Well, we learned way back in chapter 9, didn't we, that just being a natural branch of this tree, just being an ethnic Jew, being a descendant of the bloodline of Abraham, does not make you part of Israel, doesn't make you a true Jew. Romans 9 says this, not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Romans 9, 8 says that it's not the children of the flesh who are the children of God. Okay, so just being a Jew does not make you a child of God. Just being an ethnic Jew. So for now, there are a lot of Jews, and I mean a lot, and have been a lot of Jews down through the centuries that have been broken off from the tree. They are not part of true Israel. They are not a true Jew. Now remember, who's he talking to here? He's talking to us. He wants us to understand this. This isn't for the Jews. This is for us to understand because there's something he wants us to understand. And, and we're going to make sure we understand that tonight. And that is this. He broke them off so that you and I could be grafted in. He broke them off so that you and I could be grafted in. Look at verse 17. He says, if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive tree or wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others. Now listen, I'm not a gardener. Um, I know you stick things in the ground, and sometimes they grow, sometimes they don't. That's about as far as I know. But grafting, I, I kind of got a general idea of what it is, but it turns out that plants and trees have um, vascular tissues very similar to a human being's veins, right? They, they have these vascular tissues that run through them, and the root sucks up the water, out of the ground and, it's, and it sends these nutrients up through these vascular tissues. Well, you can actually take two branches and you can put them together and those vascular tissues will grow together. That's called grafting. Everybody with me? 
You've probably heard of it. Like I said, I'm not. Now, I got some pictures here. These are three different... There's all kind of different techniques when you graft, right? Different ways you can cut one limb or one branch and stick the other in it. But the idea here is that you need to get them joined together. Everybody with me? You don't just take a branch and a branch, stick them together and duct tape it. For the all, that's not going to work if you try that, right? Somehow you've got to cut one, cut the other, and get them in there together. And you can kind of see the different techniques. Now, there are different techniques, but they all have the exact same thing in common. In order to, to graft one in, you have to break something off. You have to. I mean, you have to go to that natural tree and you have to break off a branch or cut off a branch or cut off a limb and you graft the other one in. This is the picture Paul is trying to paint for you and I as, as Gentiles. God had a purpose for breaking off these Jewish believers from the tree of Israel, and that is so that you and I could be grafted in. Let me tell you, if you are here tonight and you are saved, you've been saved because God hardened Jews. Now, I don't understand that. I don't understand God's plan. But if you're here tonight as a Gentile and you've been saved, you've been grafted in because a Jew has been broken off from the tree. That's what Paul is trying to get you and I to understand. Now listen, this is a picture. It's an incredible picture. And, and you can go real deep into this and maybe somewhere down the line we won't. By the way, just as you know, I, I did a quick research. Can you graft apples and orange trees? You can't. They're different species. You have to, they have to be alike in some way. Okay? And then, I, like I said, I, I was going to go down that road and talk about how we have... By the way, the tree is a tree of faith, right? You're broken off from the tree because you don't believe. You can only be grafted into the tree because you're a believer. Because you've been, you become the same nature as your father Abraham, which is a child of faith. But we'll go down that another day. For now, this is a picture that is filled with both glory... For us, and also a lot of danger, okay? Let's look at the glory part of it first. Let's get the good news first. Let's read on verses 17 and 18. It says, If some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. Now remember, what is the root of the olive tree in this analogy? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's the patriarchs. He's saying you now share what they have. See, what that means is if you go back to the Old Testament and you read the promises that God gave to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, those are yours. You've been grafted into the tree. They are the root. All of those promises, the blessings that God promised to those patriarchs that are flowing through that uh, true spiritual Jewish tree, they belong to you and to I. You see, we are now the offspring of Abraham. We, Paul tells us that in Galatians 3, 7. We are partakers of the same blessings, the same promises that God gave to those men. Now, that is an incredible, incredible picture. You can go back now and read the Old Testament and read it differently and know that the promises he's giving to those men belong to you. So we inherit the promises that are made to Israel. Now, here's the danger. Okay, now here's the danger. Read verse 18. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. 
Don't look at the Jews and say, you bunch of dummies. Y'all were so dumb. Y'all didn't believe in your Savior. Now look at us. We are the new Israel. Look what God has done for us. He likes us. However you go about it, Paul says, don't do that. Don't be arrogant toward the branches. He says, if you are, remember, it's not you who support the root. It's the root who supports you. And what does he mean by that? See, your eternal life hangs on a Jewish background, if you will, not the other way around. Listen, the Jewish fathers, the Jewish scripture, the Jewish promises, Jewish history, the Jewish Messiah, they support you. Everything we are today comes from the Jews. Being a Christian means being a true Jew. Paul says you need to remember that. They support you. You don't support them. Let's read on verses 19 and 20. Paul says, you will say to me, well, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Paul said, that's true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. Do not become proud, but fear. Do not become proud, but fear. So Paul is telling us here, listen, you're a Christian. You've been grafted into this tree. You, you get all the promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Don't be proud. Don't be arrogant. Don't boast because you're grafted in while they were broken off. Don't speak of unbelieving Israel. Or by the way, we should never speak of any unbeliever in a way that exalts ourselves. Never. Don't ever do that. Don't be very wary very wary, and I'm going to drive this point home tonight. If there's pride in your heart, because you did, you're a Christian and somebody else isn't. If there's pride in your heart that somehow, look how great you are. And they didn't, you know, you, you, you figured it out when they didn't. Or you were blessed when they weren't. And somehow that creates pride in you. You need to be very, very, very careful. In fact, what you and I, instead of being proud, we should tremble with fear at the freedom of God's grace in saving us. It was grace. We said it over and over, don't we? You didn't earn it. You didn't merit it. You didn't deserve it. God shows mercy on whom he'll show mercy. It's grace. Don't be proud about that. And Paul says, keep this in mind. Look at verses 22 to 24. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. By the way, next week we're going to talk about hell. The whole lesson next week will be on hell. Why? Because we're going to do exactly what that verse says us to do. Consider the kindness and the severity of God. We're going to stop for one lesson and we're going to consider, we're going to think about the severity of God. Because that lesson, we're actually going to do what it tells us to do. He says, note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen. But God's kindness to you, provided you continue in His kindness, otherwise He will cut you off. Now let's read that again, because that is an in-your-face statement by the Apostle Paul. He says, note the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen. Severity toward those who don't believe. But God's kindness towards you, provided you continue in His kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. Now, 
Let's, let's read on, and then we're going to talk about something. And it says this, And even they, talking about these unbelieving Jews, if they do not continue in their unbelief, they can be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Okay? Let's look at verse 22. If you got it, circle that verse because we're going to be here the rest of this lesson and we'll be here next week. He says, note, consider, take into, think about what I'm about to say, he says. Think about God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, he will cut you off. I want to talk tonight about, for just a few minutes, about the doctrine of eternal security. The doctrine of eternal security. I want to give you a formal definition, and then I'm going to give you an informal definition. This is the Westminster Confession of Faith, um, and it says this. This is a formal definition of the uh, a doctrine of eternal security. It says, They whom God has accepted in His beloved, effectually called and sanctified by His Spirit, cannot fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere to the end, and be eternally saved. Everybody see what that says? Let me put it in a let me put it in a real uh, four-word way you can understand. Once saved, always saved. Once saved, always saved. Now, this can be a a controversial. Some people believe that you're once saved, always saved. Some people believe uh, no, you can get saved and then fall away from 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 the faith. Uh, I believe that, by the way. I believe that once you're truly saved, you, you, you're always going to be saved. You will make it to the end. Now, you may ask me, well, why do you believe that? I believe it because the Bible teaches it. For example, Philippians 1.6, Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.8 and 9 says, Christ will sustain you to the end guiltless in the day of our Lord. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 to 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Romans eight thirty. Those whom he predestined, he called. The ones he called, he justified. And the ones he justified, he glorifies. Romans four sixteen says this. And I love this one. That's why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be, say it with me, guaranteed. Guaranteed. Man, I love that word, don't you? How about Ephesians 1, 13 and 14? I like this one too. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him at that moment, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the, say it with me, guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession with it. The Holy Spirit is like, a, a, it's like the stamp of God on your life. It guarantees you're going to get what He's promised you. How about 1 Peter 1, 3-5? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith 
for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Man, I love that. Man, I fall. I, I make mistakes. I'm, 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 I'm half the time. I just, I, I'm messing up. And all the times God's guarding me. Don't go, don't go too far over here, son. Get back over here. God's doing that through his Holy Spirit. He's doing that. I'm not doing it. He's doing it. See, that's what he's doing. Now, you may say, as most people would ask this question, they'd say, well, what about the people that walk down this aisle and they pray to receive Christ? They make a profession of faith. And then days later, weeks later, months later, they're right back out doing the same. Anybody ever seen that happen before? We've all seen it numerous times, right? What about them? Didn't they lose their faith? Didn't they, didn't they depart the faith? Didn't they lose their salvation? No. The Apostle John tells us this in 1 John 2.19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they're not of us. You see what he's saying? He said they went out from us, but they were never like us. They weren't the same nature. They weren't born again. They weren't justified. They weren't true believers. It was all an outside thing. It was the, it was the seed that fell on stony ground or the seed that fell among thorns that, that comes up for a little while and, and, and everything seems great, but when the cares of this life, persecution arises, they're gone. But some fell among good, uh, good soil and brought forth 30, 60 a hundredfold worth of fruit. That's what John's saying. The reason they left us is because they're not of us. They're not the same nature as we are. Because if they were, he says, what would have happened? They would have stayed. That's the sign of a true believer. They stay. They continue. They keep on. They keep pressing. Not that they're perfect. Not that they don't make mistakes. But they keep on. They keep on. And they keep on. And never give up. And Jesus said, they that endure to the end will be saved. You see, if somebody, we don't like to talk about this, but let's just be really honest. You can be part of a church, this church or another church. You can be baptized up here in the baptistry. You can partake of the Lord's Supper. You can come to worship and raise your hand, but not be of us. It's all an outside thing. You're not truly born again. You're not truly trusting Jesus. He's, you're not in love with Him. He's not your treasure. He's not your Lord. You're just going through the motions. Now let's go back to Romans eleven twenty two to 24. And let's see what Paul says. He said this, Note then the kindness and severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but kindness toward you. And then Paul says this, Provided you continue in His kindness. Otherwise, he'll cut you off. Now, I got a question. <laughs> okay, Paul, which is it? By the way, a lot of those, uh, those verses I read earlier from, from Romans and, uh, and, and Corinthians, and those are all, that's all Paul. Paul's saying, Holy Spirit is guarding you. You've been guaranteed. And then Paul says, but you better hang on or he'll cut you off. So I ask, well, which is it, Paul? Can I lose it or can I not lose it? How do you explain scriptures like that? In fact, let me, ask it, let me ask it a different way. Is it right that a genuine believer in Christ, a true Christian, 
Is it right for Paul to threaten them like that? Let's say you're a, you're a real believer. You're, it's the real, you're the real deal. Jesus Christ is in you. Is it right for me to get up here and read passages like that and point my finger in your face and say, you better stay in His kindness or He'll cut you off? My answer to that question is yes. Absolutely it's right to do it. And here's why. You see, when Paul issues a threat like that, true believers, guess what we do? Bam! We listen. We take it to heart. We, we hear what he says. It's almost like a horse in range. You know, listen, what does the song say? Prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Listen, there's not a one of us out there that we're just walking down this road and we're just drifting. And sometimes God's got to say, get back over here. And the way he does it sometimes is, is look, listen up. <laughs> he can cut you off. Are you with me? Because true believers, when we hear that, man, our ears perk up. See, true believers, if you really understand salvation, you tremble at how fragile you are. You do. If you really understand what it means to be saved, there's not a day you get up and you realize, there ain't no way I can do this. God, save me. <laughs> I depend on your grace, Lord. I need you, Lord. I cannot do it. I can't make it. See, if true Christians understand that. I don't care if you've been saved four days or 40 years. A true Christian understands how dependent on grace they really are. And so when Paul issues threats like this, we listen. And we're like, man, that's right. I, I got to make sure I, I got to get back to my word. I got to start praying. I, I need to make sure in my relationship. And see, folks, that's how God uses the Bible, that's how he uses the word to keep us from falling, to keep us from wandering so far that we can't find our way back. But see, that's not everybody. See, there's other people that are hypocrites. They're pretenders. And when they hear threats like that, they don't tremble. That doesn't make them afraid. In fact, here's the irony of it. They may even use once saved, always saved, to justify themselves. They'll say, well, you know, I ain't, I'm not really doing right. I know I'm not living right. But hey, it's all about him. It ain't about me anyway. I'm, I, it doesn't really matter what I do. Because I'm going to be saved anyway. True Christians don't think like that. True Christians don't think like that. Paul said, in, uh, uh, how can we remain? in if, Those of us that have died to sin, Romans 6, how can we stay in it? How can we remain in something that we... That we died to. So true Christians perk up and listen. And they, and they take it to heart. Pretenders don't. Pretenders don't. They might even use scriptural doctrines like once saved, always saved to actually um, justify themselves. So I want to close here tonight with a warning. Okay, because I think this is appropriate. In the Old Testament, you could be a circumcised, sacrifice offering, law-abiding physical child of Abraham, and you could be completely lost. Is that true? Sure, it's true. We, Paul's been talking about this in chapter 9, chapter 10, and chapter 11. Folks, listen to me. In the same way, in the New Testament church, you can be a baptized, tithe-paying, communion-taking, hands-lifting, Bible-quoting, and be completely lost. 
You can do all those things and not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's, that's terrifying. That's terrifying. And see, I mean, even as I say that, I'm like, Lord, I'm, I just, it's all about Him. It's all about depending on grace. It's all about falling on that rock and not letting that rock fall on me. So here's what I want to leave you with tonight. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Paul says this, examine yourself. Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Do you not realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? See, he tells you, you need to test yourself. You need to look inside at your heart and see what's there. And one of the ways we test ourselves, by the way, don't become proud. Don't make sure there's no pride welling up in you because you've done something other people haven't done or you've seen something other people haven't seen or you've believed in a way that other people don't believe. Paul said that's not what Christians do. Christians tremble with a humble heart in amazement at the grace that God has poured out on us. Is that your attitude? Which one is it? That's a good test. Are you proud? Or are you so humble because you realize that God showed mercy to you? That's a good test of where your heart is tonight. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you as always for your word. What, a, what an incredible, mighty word it is. And Lord, we want to, um, we want to take this word to heart tonight. Um, we, you, you, you gave us this warning, and we don't want to pass it by. We, won't do, we don't want to make light of it. We don't want to just walk out of here and not take it to heart. But, Lord, we want to, we want to make sure that we think about it, that we consider it, that we are who we need to be. Our heart is where it needs to be with you. God, if there's any pride in anyone here, God, take it away right now. Replace it with just a humbleness. Replace it with a thankfulness that we are saved one way and one way only. And that is through grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Not on anything we did. Not on anything we will do. God, we fall on you. I, I, I'll say to you the same thing I say 20 times a week. Lord, I need you. I can't do it. Save me. Don't just, you, you saved me then, but keep saving me and make sure I make it to the end. I know there's so many here that feel that exact same way. So tonight, Lord, we praise you. We thank you. We, we just thank you for your grace that you've poured out on so many here at River of Life. But there are folks here, even in our church, Lord, that are pretenders. They are pretenders, God. And I pray this Sunday as they come into this, this room, this house, that your spirit will go out in such a mighty way that, God, even the pretenders will see who they really are and fall at your feet and call you Lord and call you Savior. God, do that. Do, you can do it. I know you can, Lord. I ask you to do it. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen.